Ice tart and bread up there The laws to abide And that the land that I live in Has God on its side Hi, this is Steve Balton, and you are here for the third episode of People Have the Power, where today we are joined by special guest John Densmore of The Doors for a journey back to the 60s. Join me and John as he takes us through some of his favorite Bob Dylan tracks, talks about The Doors' Unknown Soldier, the Vietnam War, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. It's always a pleasure to talk to John. So now, rant away. What is your first, uh, your first protest song of choice? Uh, well, wait a minute. Hold it. Uh, I have to. I have to get ready here. Wait a minute. You ready? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, this uh, this was a mask uh, made for me by. Well, uh, this was made for me by Kreist uh, Novoselic and his wife, bass player in Nirvana. Yes. So I thought I'd put that on uh, for amusement. Um, so, I don't know if you can see this. Yes. This is, this is the Music Cares uh, catalog for uh, Bob Dylan when he was honored. And uh, in it, uh, on some page here, it says, congrats, Bob, quote, with God on our side, end quote, inspired me to resist the Vietnam draft. I'm forever grateful, John Densmore. P.S. Thanks for the tambourine lyrics for my memoir. So, uh, with God on our side. Uh, you know, I was, um, well, okay, the beginning of that uh, song goes, oh, my name, oh, I can't sing. We'll confirm I'm a drummer. Oh, my name, it ain't nothing. My age, it means less. Country I come from called the Midwest. I was taught and brought up there, laws to abide, and that I lived in a country with God on its side. So, um, well, then my name was nothing. I wasn't a public figure, but um, my age, it didn't mean less. It meant a lot because I was draft age and I could feel the draft, let me tell you. And I was listening to this song over and over, and it gave me the courage to go down to the draft board and act crazy. And I got a one Y. And then the uh, protest movement, thank God, uh, monkey wrenched the whole system so much so that um, they never, one Y means they look you up in a year, and they never did. And that's what's, that's really important. I, I, I don't, well, maybe now. Now is pretty exciting, but um, we, the people, stopped the Vietnam War. That's really important. It was real hard. And, but anyway, um, this song did that for me. Now, let's see. I'm looking at the next stanza. History books tell it, tell it so well. Cavalry's charged, Indians fell. Cavalry's charged, Indians died. Oh, the country was young with God on our side. So um, about four years ago, I wrote a piece in Rolling Stone when Obama was a lame duck, and it was during the Standing Rock thing, and I was asking him 
to pardon Leonard Peltier, who uh, has been in jail for 50 years or something, Native American uh, elder. And um, I also asked him, uh, you know, wouldn't be a bad idea. I think that Rolling Stone made this the cover line. Uh, uh, John Densmore asked Obama to forgive uh, the Native Americans, you know, for the original genocide. You know, we got to admit this shit. Uh, we're founded on racism. And, you know, once we look at it, then we begin to heal and figure out what to do. Right, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting. I just premiered on Forbes yesterday a song by this guy, John Ellison. He wrote the song, She's Some Kind of Wonderful in 67. You remember that song? Yeah, vaguely. Covered a lot. and it's. But he wrote this song. It's called um, Wake Up Call Black Like Me. And it, it's one of the most incendiary songs you'll ever, you know, and it's just such a powerful statement coming from this guy who has been through so much. He talks about in 69, he was hit by a beer bottle and it was blind for a year. But of oh. course, no one was ever charged. And his brother worked in a West Virginia hospital and had his throat slit by a white guy. And the white guy never went to jail for it, you know, and it, uh -huh. it's... You know, so people who, you know, he, he's this guy who's 78 and he's written this stuff. He's never published it. And he's written this song that basically says, you know, we die for the flag, but I don't know why, you know? Wow. Well, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Watts riots and um, nothing happened after that. I kind of could feel the 92 uprising would uprise. And, and then there was promises of something to happen after 92. There was some money, but I don't know what happened. It got embezzled or what the fuck, who knows? And so here we are now, and damn, you know, um, uh, feels like there may be gonna be some change. It's, you know, so it's pretty inspiring. I'm, um, I'm wearing a Nike t-shirt I'm not a, a sports uh, dude. I don't wear sports clothes. But uh, when uh, Colin Kaepernick took the knee and Nike backed him up, I, I went down to Nike and bought a T-shirt. And you know, it, uh, it's so it's inspiring that he got so much shit, just like the um, the athletes in the Olympics that did this. Um, and now. It's cool. Everybody's taking the knee. Well, okay. I, you know, that's inspiring to me. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to throw this in. When uh, Van Jones, you know, the CNN uh, yeah. commentator, he was, um, he was Obama's green czar. And Van and I were talking about I suggested to him that the doors, and Ray was still alive, but uh, and he was up for this, uh, that the doors would, you know, we. my whole thing was not selling songs for commercials, you know, changing the lyrics to sell deodorant. And I said to Van, how about that the doors give Break On Through to America for free as the theme song for uh, green, um, let's see, it went to break on through to a greener environment. We chased our pleasures here, you know, show oil wells, 
dug our treasures there. Can you still recall the time we cried, break on through to the other side, and then shots of solar panels and windmills? And, and Van and Obama were like, oh, my God, this is really cool. And then Van got taken out by some right-wing asshole. I can't think of his name. We don't want to think of his name. You know, because Van was in a progressive group in Oakland before he got started. And that whole thing fell in the toilet. But break on through, uh, I mean, certainly it means an inner journey, but it could have been a very political green outer journey. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I've always said for, for, you know, as long as I can remember, that to me, my favorite political songwriter of all time was John Lennon because he made the personal and the political so intertwined. You know, he wrote these songs like a working class hero or a mother or these songs that were so, you know, as much as they were about social causes, you could relate to them on a very personal level. So it's interesting that you say a song like Break On Through could have been a, you know, it's an inner journey, but it absolutely could be a political. And I think most great songs, you know, can have that double entendre. And very cool that you mentioned that because, uh, my second memoir, The Door is Unhinged, which was about my difficult struggles. Um, oh, wait a minute. I'm confused. Uh-oh, I'm 75. Maybe it was my <laughs> I have two self-centered memoirs. Maybe it was the first one. One of them, yeah, it was the first one. I dedicated to John Lennon and said he, because he would show his personal life as well as his creative life, it gave me the courage to write about that in my memoir because celebrities uh, have to uh, go to the bathroom and get divorced like everybody else. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, when I look back and it's funny, I did a piece a couple of years ago for Forbes too about the fact that, you know, how Lennon in many respects was to me the ultimate rock star. And it's funny because I didn't used to think so. But when I look back too, and in 75, him being, you know, as big as he was and saying, okay, cool, I'm going to go be a dad for five years. Or when you yeah. look back on, I mean, yeah. when you look at the courage, imagine, there. Is, I, I said this at the time, there is literally nothing comparable today that could, there's nothing today that could be comparable to a guy leaving the Beatles and writing a song like God. Can't be done. <laughs> but I mean, oh, it, you know, there's nothing that could be comparable to, you know, when you look at, and I admire a lot of the pop stars who are coming out today. Like I, I've actually become like, I'm a big fan of how Taylor Swift is using her voice now for advocacy yeah, yeah, and yeah. good for her. And I absolutely respect the hell out of her for doing that. But you can't even come close to comparing that to a guy who was in the Beatles coming out and saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Beatles. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's literally uh, the courage for that can't be equated. Now, did you, did you meet John? Is he in the book? Because we've talked about this book a lot. I'm very excited for this book. No, no, he's not in this book. Um, did you ever meet John, though? Yeah, uh, for a second uh, at the, Monor uh, no, the Toronto Peace Festival. He was playing uh, with uh, Yoko and uh, Klaus Vorman and Clapton. And uh, I, mean, I didn't get, we didn't have time to rap at all. But, uh, yeah, what a great, great guy. Um, hey, let's go back to this uh, uh, yeah. Dylan thing. Let's see. The First World War, boys, it came and it went. The reason for fighting I never did get, but I learned to accept it, accept it with pride, for you don't count the, de count the dead when God's on your side. Yeah, so um, I think by October – 
we're going to have 30,000 more deaths from the virus. But Trump doesn't count them. We're not counting them, you know. Uh, when God's on your side, you, you, you know, come, come to uh, Tulsa and share water drops, you know. All right, I'm getting on the soapbox, but um, what can I say? Well, yeah, that's what we're saying. I mean, it's crazy, you know. I mean, when he says things like, okay, if you wear a mask, then you're, people who don't wear masks are doing it because, or people who wear masks are doing it because they don't support me. No, that's the problem is you're literally killing your followers. Because yeah. it's going to make people there be afraid to wear a mask because whether they want to or not, it's going to look like you know, they're either anti-Trump or, or they're bowing to public pressure. Yeah, well, don't follow leaders. Watch your parking meters. I, what can I say? <laughs> no, uh, you know, um, uh, a writer and friend of mine, mythologist Michael Mead, said that um, everybody gets older, but not everybody gets elder. And an elder is someone who looks after the youth, who worries about several generations ahead. And, uh, gee, our guy's looking after himself, isn't he? What can I say? You know, like, I'm from the Vietnam generation, and, uh, boy, we got – well, actually, I wanted to read you something from – there was an anthology I got a thing in called Unknown Soldiers for Peace – uh, Ray Bradbury was in it. I feel pretty proud about that. Um, <clears throat> so I want to read a, you a little something here. <clears throat> I can see it. Uh, let's have a war. Jack up the Dow Jones. Let's have a war. So chanted the punk group Fear. Um, <laughs> remember that? <laughs> no. I remember yeah. the band Fear, but I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So anyway, I wrote, um, as a veteran of the Vietnam protests, I'm very sensitive to Voltaire's statement, it is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong. We were so sabotaged sabotaged by our leaders back then that our entire generation was scarred. It's almost like we're all Vietnam vets. I mean, no disrespect to those who served, who certainly paid the bigger price, but maybe the entire country had paid the biggest price by not learning the lessons of Vietnam. You know, like um, the one thing we did, the government learned was not to show the bodies coming back for future wars. But if we had really figured out that Vietnam was the first one of meddling, then um, we might not have gotten into Afghanistan and Iraq and all that crap. But, you know, um, Before we started this podcast, you're talking, you and Adam, your producer, are talking about people who, who don't seem to get it. And here's a little more about that kind of thing. Another excerpt from this book. It's so strange that the late Senator John McCain was in country and didn't come home with a more anti-war stance. In Jim Morrison's Prayer for America, he wrote, Have we forgotten the lessons of the ancient war? Apparently, Vietnam was so painful for McCain that he rendered it too ancient and forgot about it. Even Jim had the courage to look his father in the eye with the rest of the poem and say, do you know we are being led to slaughters by placid admirals 
uh, Jim dad, Jim's dad was an admiral in the Navy. He was in the Gulf of Tonkin while we were writing Unknown Soldier, which we should talk about. And um, do you know we were being led to slaughters by placid admirals and that fat, so fat, fat, slow generals are getting obscene on young blood. Uh, McCain didn't want to admit it, like the former Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, who sent him to Nam, and that it was a terrible wrong. And now we have Iraq, and from that, the entire region is up in flames. So that's it, man. We need honesty from leaders, and then we'll um, get somewhere. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, was, I mean, but look, though, it's, what's crazy about what's happening now is, right, you have General Mathis, who's a guy that, you know, the right would swear by, comes yeah. out and criticizes, you know, that guy whose name I won't say and, and you know, talks about him being unfit and all this stuff. And when, when the racist in chief denies it, then people are like, oh, Mathis is just upset because he was fired. And what I mean, the people who the right would have normally swore by, decorated military generals who respected by both, you know, by both parties, they're like, oh no, he's just angry. He's just bit, you know. So you're, you're. <laughs> the leaders are trying to talk, and for some reason, it's like we're in, like we're in Guyana, man. And you know, everybody's drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, well, um, I was so proud of Jim. Uh, you know, in his original bio, it, it, this this chasm between for and against the Vietnam War is the same as this Trump thing. Uh, it's a deep chasm. And Jim said in his original bio that his parents were deceased, which they were not. Now that's cutting the umbilical cord. Uh, uh, so he wrote this song. He didn't name Vietnam uh, particularly, but uh, I, breakfast where the news is read, television children fed, unborn living, living dead, a bullet strikes the helmet's head. It's all over for the unknown soldier. Whoa. I mean, none of our songs were overtly political like that one, but the times were so bad, like now, change was forced. And... Um, we got it to number 24, which everybody said was on billboard charts, which was a miracle because the Ballad of the Green Berets, a pro-war song, was number one. Uh, change is slow, but, <clears throat> you know, I'll fight for it whether it happens or not. I mean, what else are you going to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's go back to Bob Dylan. I, I'm loving this song as a template for our whole interview. Um, I learned to hate the Russians through my whole life. If another war comes, then it's them, them we must fight. Oh, wait a minute. Let me interject, Steve. Maybe yeah. this will help the Donald. Uh, Russia is a nuclear power, Donald. Uh, it just came out in Bolton's book that he, he wasn't sure about that. So it's true. And um, actually, another article I wrote oh, about three years ago in the Huffington Post was about um, Obama visiting Hiroshima and, uh, and a, a conversation between me and my kids came from it was really interesting 
gonna I'm gonna read you a little stuff something from that. Um, so uh, I said to my kids, uh, my parents' generation, some people in my parents' generation think that um, you know we just had to uh, bomb those two cities. Uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima because it saved American lives and stopped the war. And my son, 27 year old, 26 at the time, maybe said to me, dad, that's insane. That's just insane. And um, so I I wrote a thing about it and here it is. Oh, oh, I I did some research and an expert on, uh, peace resistance uh, said this. Uh, the facts are very disturbing. Uh, the discussion of whether or not Hiroshima was necessary is moot. The important, uh, what is important is that today's nukes are six to seven times more powerful than back in 1945. And for years, I've Oh, for years I've heard that uh, computers uh, that run these nukes, are the system is old and outdated, so a mistake would, you know, make a nuclear winner. And then I wrote, I'm sure Obama is depressed about how much resistance he got from the Republican Congress in trying to defuse the arsenal. Receiving the Nobel Peace Prize and then not being able to deliver has to be very frustrating. The other comment from the Peace Research Group expert that's duck was chilling. If Obama could, at the very least, get the hair trigger rule that is in effect taken off, the chance of an accident would be lessened. Hair trigger? Oh, God. The Republican nominee for the next president, we know who that is now, seems to me to have a hair trigger without me even knowing our missile system had one in the first place. My kids are right. We're insane. The Bob Dylan lyric, which he wrote 50 years ago, has come true. But now we got weapons of chemical dust. If fire them, we're forced to. Then fire them, we must. One push of the button, a shot uh, the worldwide. You'd never ask questions when God's on your side. And then, of course, Dylan's prophetic conclusion. If God's on our side, he'll stop the next war. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I'm not that familiar with that song. I mean, I'm a Dylan fan, but I'm not, that's not, you know, and it's such an interesting thing though. And and this has to me been my favorite thing about doing this show thus far is that, you know, great songs have a universality and they're applicable to all times. And it's amazing how, you know, that song that was written in the sixties, still that last line still has such a depth and meaning now. And it's so interesting though, you look at a Springsteen song like Born in the USA and how that was misinterpreted. Yeah, and it's amazing yeah. how you could see how the Republican part or the right wing could totally take that Dylan line and twist it for their side. Well, I don't want to think about that. God damn it. Uh, well, only because of the idea of like this idea of God being on America's side, you know, like as if we're, oh, we're infallible. Yes. And you know, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another Dylan song, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, which, it, same thing, it's as per, it, okay, it's about um, a rich guy having a, um, uh, a servant whom, whom he kills with his cane just on a lark, 
and um, uh, take the rag away from your face. Now's not the time for your tears uh, is the refrain. And then, then when the guy and the judge gives uh, the guy uh, only six months for murder, now uh, you who philosophize disgrace, criticize our, all fears, bury the rag in your face. Now's the time for your tears. That's when the George Floyd verdict first came down and a couple of the guys weren't even accused. That's why we have all this unrest. And it's completely, perfectly nailed in a song Bob Dylan wrote in 1964. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the arc of justice, uh, what is that MLK line? It's slow, but it's bending, God damn it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is this, I mean, again, that to me has been like, it's funny. One of the songs I looked at when I first started this program, just because I'm a huge fan, I just got to see her in concert with Sinead O'Connor. And a song like Black Boys on Mopeds that Ooh. from her, you know, I do not want what I haven't got from 1990, Ooh. Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. And that song from 1990, man, when you, you know, when she talks about like, I don't want it, you know, and that's why I'm leaving. You know, I don't want my sons to know there's any such thing as grieving. I mean, oh. dude, that's, that's a, that is a line that from 1920 to 2020 remains just as perfect and just as deep. Talk about speaking truth to power. What did she say to the Pope? I'm trying to remember. There was some amazing... Well, she, I mean, it's great. She ripped up the photo of the Pope on Night nice. Live and Ooh. kind of destroyed her career at the time. Yeah. You know? And it's, I mean, sad because an incredible artist and, and it absolutely, you know, oh, man. Hey. So fascinating to watch, you know. I saw her at the El Rey in, in February. I digressed for a second, but you know what was awesome to see was here was this artist who had gone through so much difficulty and to see an artist come out on the other side and she was just so happy and her fans were so adoring and she was having so much fun. It really was one of the best shows I've seen in so long because to see a great artist finally get the chance to be, because I mean, you know, as well as anybody, fame is a very difficult, difficult thing and it messes with people in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, not everybody makes it to the other side, you know? So yeah, but you, her, you know, uh, you know uh, it, it's there. You're remembering this lyric from... 10, when did she write it? 10, 20 years ago, whatever. 30 years ago, 1990. Okay, so uh, it's, it's in the, the world. And um, let's take the long overview, you know? Let's uh, think of seven generations ahead or whatever. It's there. And it can be plucked out of the internet and, uh, and used and inspired by, you know? Uh, Colin Kaepernick took the knee, got a bunch of shit, Everybody's on their knees now. Hello. Yeah. Hey, hang on. I want to get something. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, just an excerpt of uh, here's uh, what's that thing? Um, it's off Oh Mercy. Daniel Lenoir produced really great. Um, uh, License to Kill, I think it's titled. Now they take him and they teach him and they groom him for life and they set him on a path where he's bound to get ill. Then they bury him with stars, sell his body like they do use cars. But there's a woman on my block. She just sit there facing the hill. She say, who's going to take away his license to kill? Now he's hell bent for destruction. He's afraid and confused and his brain has been mismanaged with great skill. 
All he believes are his eyes. His eyes just tell him lies. But there's a woman on my block sitting there in a cold chill. She say, who's going to take away his license to kill? Finally, he worships at an altar of a stagnant pool. When he sees his reflection, he's fulfilled. Oh, man is supposed is opposed to fair play. He wants it all. He wants it his way. There's a woman on my block. She just sits there as the night grows still. Who's going to take away his license to kill? You know, I mean, that guy's a fucking poet. Well, you know, there's a reason that he's the first musician ever to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, so. (laughs) Yeah. Unreal. Hey, so, um, I, uh, I'm doing a uh, fundraiser for Biden. Nice. Uh, uh, Boring Biden. uh, uh, You know, we need boredom right now. I am so exhausted from the crap coming out of Agent Orange's mouth every day. Spike Lee's name for Trump. Anyway, that's why I asked you if this thing is going to air, you know, you said late July or... August, I did uh, Leonard Cohen's song Democracy for it, and it's on July 4th, and it's online with a bunch of heavies, you know, Kamala Harris and Barbara Boxer, Lily Tomlin, whatever, and uh, I'll give you a little preview. I don't okay. Know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, and i got to dredge it up out of my brain. Um, democracy is coming to the USA. It's coming from the hole in the air. Those uh, nights in Tiananmen Square, the wars of disorder, the sirens night and day, the fires of the homeless, and the ashes of the gay. Democracy's coming to the USA. Uh, It's coming from the street, the passion in the street, the holy place where the races meet from the homicidal bitching that goes on in the kitchen to determine who's to serve and who's to eat. Democracy is coming to the USA. Not here yet. Sail on, sail on, O ship of state, to the shores of need, past the reefs of greed. Sail on. It's coming to America first. That's because it's here. We got the thirst and and the need for change. Finally, it's coming. The lonely says we got to get a fundamental heart and change. Democracy is coming to the USA. Democracy is coming. Well, anyway, you get the picture, right? I mean, it's it's so on with, you know, the wars of disorder, sirens night and day, uh, uh, the, uh, the fires of the homeless, and then the ashes of the gay, you know, AIDS and whatever. I mean, he just nails it. That's you know, it. it's so interesting because I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan, but I became, I got into him for the first thing that I fell in love with was from him was actually a, song, a poem called You Do Not Have to Love Me. And so it's interesting because I think you get that impression. So it's like, for me, I don't think of Cohen as a political songwriter. I think of him in songs like Oh Suzanne and, and the, you know, the personal. So it's interesting. It gets me thinking about like, who are those artists who like, Bowie, for example, was not someone I think of as a political songwriter. But of right. course, you take a song like here. You know, it's interesting. Like, what would be, uh, just for me geeking out on this stuff, I'm trying to think of, like, what's the greatest sort of protest song by someone who you don't think of a political songwriter? Because, like, you know, when you think of the political songwriters, of course, you think of Bob Marley, Dylan, 
you know, Woody Guthrie. There are certain people who, John Lennon, like, who made it an art form. So it's funny because like I said, I don't think of Leonard Cohen as a political songer, but that is a great, amazing song. Yeah. Well, maybe um, hearkening back to what you were originally saying about um, a song like Break On Through is internal, but, but these great songwriters, they can write something that's so universal that it can be translated in any way. You know, it could be political or it could be uh, your internal kind of um, consciousness changing and but like you say, it's interesting that all you go in a minute, but like, you know, Jim didn't typically write political songs, you know, but Universal Soldier or Unknown Soldier, I'm sorry, was a song that, you know, had a very definitive and defined statement. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Dylan uh, hates the idea of being <laughs> uh, labeled a protest folk singer, you know, and the, uh, but he did it so good. And he was very upset by the George... Uh, Floyd thing in a recent interview. Uh, sorry, Bob, you know, I mean, what, what he doesn't like, of course, is that because he did it so good, uh, people look to him uh, to have answers. And he doesn't want to have the answers. He just wants to do his art to the point of he will <laughs> sabotage his art practically and do a Victoria's Secret commercial because he doesn't want to be, you to put him in a box. And, you know, I, I, you know I, I was annoyed that he did that. But then again, uh, I still, the guy is uh, such a giant that he's fed me so much. Helped me get out of the army. <laughs> so, you know, I love him. Well, I was say, just being yeah. a great songwriter, I mean, it's funny. If you ask me my favorite Dylan album, I'm going Blood on the Tracks, which isn't a protest album at all. But I mean, yeah. I don't know that there's ever been a better song written than If You See Her Say Hello. And I think one of the things I love about that album so much is that here is this guy who was the voice of a generation showing that vulnerability and opening himself up in a way that very few people ever have. And that goes back to where we're talking about the courageousness with John Lennon. I mean, Blood on the Tracks, look at the vulnerability in that. Okay, uh, Steve, give me a few lines from Blood on the Tracks. All right, well, wait, I, I don't want to fuck this up, so hold on. Okay, there's sure. one passage in particular yeah. on If You See Her Say Hello that to me is is just Great. perfect. And it's funny, another song I absolutely adore from Dylan, Not Dark Yet, which is also about mortality, but it's also Ooh. not a protest song, you know? Love that song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole song of If You See Her Say Hello, but there's one line in particular where he talks about, you know, hold on, let me find this. I hear her name from town to town and maybe I'm just getting soft, but it's just this line of like basically of him admitting that, you know, hold on, let me find it. Why am I not seeing this? All right, hold on. But you know the line I'm talking about, of course. Yeah, but I need a little more. All right. We got, we, you know, Adam will make this all smooth, right? Right, Adam? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so how many of these have you done, Adam? Oh, um, the protest ones, um, I think we've only done like five or six, but I've been. Who have you done? Carlos? Uh, yeah, we did Carlos. Yep. John Carlos Ellison and Cindy. Shepard's doing it next Thursday, which I'm really excited about. It's definitely been a mix of people, but now I found the line. So here it goes. This was the one that gets me from the song. I see a lot of people as I make the rounds and I hear her name here and there as I go from town to town. And I've never gotten used to it. I've just learned to turn it off. Either I'm too sensitive or else I'm getting soft. 
dude, for a guy of Dylan's stature to admit that, that takes a lot of courage. Uh, he's showing his, uh, his human, you know, uh, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. I yeah. don't even, I don't even, don't even know why I came here. <laughs> Some of the lines. <laughs> oh, wait, there's a, there's a line in there as well. Hold on. There's, there's, I'm going to look this up because this is also, but it's interesting because I mean, we could geek out on Dylan lyrics all day long. Well, I want to close on a Dylan thing anyway. Go ahead. All right, hold on. Let me find that. But, but you exactly. know, we're not we're not doing uh, the times are a changing. You know, the obvious. So right. I, it's good. But hold on. There's one line. Oh yeah, this one, man. I ain't looking for nothing in anyone's eyes. Sometimes my burden seems more than I can bear. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. I just love that too of like just the humanity in that of just again what comes with age. And the line, uh, I'm not looking for anything in anyone's eyes. Oh, is that good? That is so powerful. Yeah. What, what that means, you know, as an elder is that, uh, you know, growing up, you, you look to elders to teach you. But at some point you go, okay, I'm done here. And unfortunately, um, there's a lot of Kool-Aid folks who are looking into Trump's eyes. Uh, you know what I'm saying here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's the, what's the Dylan one you want to wrap up on? All right. It's um, the chimes of freedom flashing. And it just, oh, just, thank you. I, just, I, that, just staggering. You know, I mean, he and his girlfriend stumble into a little door front during a storm. And he translates all the thunder and lightning to be tolling for all the uh, unfortunate folks. So here it goes, all right? Far between sundown's finish and midnight's broken toll, we ducked inside the doorway, thunder crashing. As majestic bells of bolts struck shadows in the sounds, seeming to be the chimes of freedom flashing. Flashing for the warrior whose strength is not to fight. Oh, love it. That's a new thought. Flashing for the refugees on the unarmed road of flight. Immigrants and each and every underdog soldier in the night as we gaze upon the chimes of freedom flashing. You know, you think about Iraqi vets, underdog soldiers who've got a high suicide rate now because, uh, you know, if you're not fighting Hitler, which is a pretty clear enemy, then, then uh, taking someone else's life, even, even if it is a clear enemy, taking someone else's life Oh, it's a little bit cannibalistic. They're fellow human beings, man. It's a tough one. In the city's melted furnace, unexpectedly we watched with faces hidden while the walls were tightening as the echoes of the wedding bells before the blowing rain dissolved into the bells of lightning, tolling for the rebel, tolling for the rake, tolling for the luckless, the abandoned and forsake, tolling for the outcast burning constantly at stake, and we gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing. Sinead O'Connor, burning constantly at the stake, right? St. Jones, St. Sinead. Through the, oh, what a line. Through the mad mystic hammering of the wild ripping hail, the sky cracked its palms in naked wonder. That the clinging of the church, uh, that the clinging of the clinging, clanging of the church bells blew far into the breeze, leaving only bells of lightning and thunder. Striking for the gentle, striking for the kind, striking for the guardians, protectors of the mind, and the, un- the painter 
far behind his rightful time, we gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing. Through the wild cathedral evening, the rain raveled its tails for disrobed, faceless forms of no position, tolling for the tongues with no place to bring their thoughts all down in taken-for-granted situation, tolling for the deaf and blind, tolling for the mute, tolling for the mistreated, mateless mother, the mistitled prostitute, for the misdemeanor outlaw chastened and cheated by pursuit, and for each unharmful, gentle soul misplaced inside a jail. Hello, BLM, BLM. We gazed upon the chimes of freedom flashing. Last stanza, starry-eyed and laughing as I recall when we were caught, trapped by no track of ours for they hang suspended as we listened one last time and we watched with one last look, spellbound and swallowed till the tolling ended. Tolling for the aching ones whose wounds cannot be nursed, for the countless confused, accused, misused, strung out ones and worse, and for every hung up person in the whole wide universe, we gaze on the chimes of freedom flashing. Holy shit. I mean, I'm a writer. I've written several books and many, many. If I could write one of those lines, I'd be happy. (laughs) So thanks for this um, Songs of Change. It's got the Patti Smith line. People have the power, yep. Yep. Thanks for this this, uh, platform, Steve. It's perfect topical. I'm a drummer. It's timely. And, and for me, it's funny, like, and it's inter- because it just goes back to my roots. And it's funny that you chose Chimes of Freedom, right? Because I grew up in the 80s, or I came of age in the 80s, right? And I remember seeing Springsteen do the Amnesty yeah. Tour yeah. in 88 after seeing you 2 do it in 86. And in yeah. fact, Springsteen, through that whole year, covered Chimes of Freedom. And yeah. it was on an EP he released that. So I've always had a special affinity for that song. So, and it just comes back to, again, that's the stuff that for me, I just grew up on. That's the stuff that I always loved. Well, I knew that, Steve. That's why I did it. (laughs) You knew my affinity for that song. All right, man. Well, thanks so much, Dad. I really appreciate you doing this. And, and, you know, I look forward to talking in the fall about this book because, you know, we've talked about this for a long time and I'm excited to read it. Beautiful. Cool. All right. We'll see you. See you, Adam. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here for People Have the Power with special guest John Densmore and quite a history lesson on the music of Bob Dylan, The Doors, much more. Hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation as much as we did. And it's all over for the unknown soldier. It's all over